Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Matchbox Creative a podcast where we talk about ideas, inspiration, the creative process, and exploring our creative potential. Here we'll connect with creative people of all kinds and hear about their story, their life, and the experience and wisdom learned along the way. I'm Mark Daniel, a graphic designer and photographer here in Nashville, Tennessee. One of the things I'm hoping to do with this podcast is explore some different areas of life and work that aren't typically recognized as being a source of creativity. Most of us, if asked what a creative person looks like or what kind of work they do, would probably start by listing typical creative professions like artists, musicians, illustrators, writers, and so on. But if we look at what creativity really is and what it could be, we'll see it covers so much more. And one of those unexpected areas of creativity is comedy. The art of making people laugh can be wonderfully personal and idiosyncratic. And difficult. It takes a lot of hard work, discipline, and creativity behind the scenes that you will hardly ever see when it's done well. So to that end, today we're talking with my hilarious friend, George Camel. George hosts live events, videos, and podcasts where he uses comedy to build connections with the audience, tell stories, and help drive important messages home. In our conversation, we talk about what it takes to succeed and grow as a comedian, if comedy is something you're born with or a skill you can learn, and about how easy it is to let our inner critics stop us from putting ourselves out there at all. But I don't want to give it all away, so let's jump right in. Here's my chat with George. Today, it is a stormy Saturday in Nashville, and I am here talking with my friend from work, George Camel. George, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for thanks for doing this with us. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I'll that take, got but I'll you. Take it. That was that was what pushed you over the edge. No, this I mean, it's going to be fun. And yeah, I know that it's going to be bad news if that's what flusters me at the beginning. Um, but why don't you, why don't we just jump right into it? And if you could tell us just a bit about yourself and just kind of what you do for work and a little bit about just sort of your creative journey. So I started kind of as a, a skateboard punk rock suburban kid outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And that led me along a creative journey going from music to video to marketing uh, back to music, and it led me into a host role, which is what I do now at Ramsey Solutions. I host things, not like a host at Applebee's, but a host like a podcast host, a video curriculum host, a live stream host, things like that. So I'm in front of cameras, microphones, and people on stages uh, for my job. So I would call that a dream job for a lot of people who like to do what I do. What about for people who are terrified about being in front of people? Not the right gig. Uh, and honestly, <laughs> there there are days where I'm like, God, I got to go out there. I just, uh, do I have to? I'm so sleepy. <laughs> and so, you know, there's days where you don't want to do it and it is work, you know? Yeah, uh, now, some people are like, dude, you're insane. Like, I live for this. But I am, uh, I guess, kind of the ambivert. So I'm like, I like people, but I also like staring at a wall and contemplating life, you know? <laughs> That's great. Have you always been so, so extroverted and just really comfortable in front of large groups of people? 
Yes, I remember as a kid, I would uh, I would come down the stairs, my grandparents would be over, and I would just bring down random objects, toys. I'd put on sunglasses and a big t-shirt and start rapping in front of my very Middle Eastern grandparents who had no clue what was going on just to get them laughing. And so I don't think it's necessarily that I love to be in the spotlight. I just love to make people laugh, to make people feel welcome, uh, to be a hospitable person. And so I think that's where it stems from more than like, gosh, I just want to be in front of a camera. Uh, Because a lot of the time to do that, you've got to be in front of people. Right. And so that's where it all started. Just always had that. Well, that's a great point. Because one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is to just talk about comedy a little bit. And because a lot of what you do at work and like being in front of people, you know, you bring comedy into a lot of it. And so, I mean, you can easily just present the facts and sort of, you know, go through the routine. But comedy is like kind of what you're known for a little bit, right? Because it kind of brings your own personal style and flavor and attitude to it. Um, and I was wondering, like, what is your thoughts about sort of like, how does your creativity come through your comedy? Like, how does that kind of uniquely express yourself? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think a thread that I've seen throughout all of the things I've done in my life, from video to, to writing music, to performing that, to uh, editing and putting things out there. I just want to create something compelling and then share it with people so that they enjoy it. And so I think a lot of the comedy angle comes into play where I'm going, hey, what is a creative way to say this? And a lot of times that just leans funny more than it does serious. Um, and so my brain just goes, what about this is interesting? What is a layer deeper uh, than most people are thinking about? What is that relatable thing? What is a funny rabbit trail? What's a pun I can take and throw in there? Uh, what is a left field turn I can take? And what's a moment that I can take and use to make us all feel comfortable and to laugh? That's I feel like all good comedy, uh, while you can feel that awkwardness, you know the person is in control of it. Right. They don't project the awkwardness onto the whole crowd. You know that they're in control. And I think that's some of my favorite comedy. What I'm hearing is really the comedy is not coming out of this deliberate attempt to be funny, but more like what's the most interesting angle. And it just naturally kind of skews towards what's funny. Yeah. A lot of people, they're like, well, he's just naturally funny. He's just a naturally funny guy. And while there is truth to, the fact that some people just are not funny people and that's not their <laughs> gifting and they do not need to lean into that. Right. But Any, are there's we also this anybody particular, um, no one, not no one here. Oh, okay. Good. Well, no one, uh, you're, you're great. You're doing oh. great. Oh, well, that's, that's <laughs> but, not what I was going for. I was, I was like, <laughs> we know a lot of, we have a lot of mutual friends and so. Oh yeah. 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 So, yeah. And so the, it is, it is something that not everyone kind of inherently has, but it's also something that, I work really hard at. And so a lot of people just go, oh, he's just naturally funny. This just, you know, just happens for him. Right. But the truth is I, I study comedy. I'm an observer of people and I'm obsessively breaking down why something is funny. And I think a lot of people just don't take the time to do that. And so a lot of people don't know why something is funny. They just know that made me laugh. And so what I like to do is get very scientific about it, almost to where it's unsexy and boring. You know, it's like, <laughs> taking apart the radio and going like, Oh, I didn't, Oh, what does this capacitor in here do? That's interesting. 
And so I study my favorite comedians and go, what is it about Jerry Seinfeld that's so compelling? What do I like about the way he said that? And then I break those sentences down and keep, you know, detailed notes about what makes that funny and read comedy books and study comedy clips and really then try to use that in everyday life. So that's interesting. So do you think comedy is something that it's like everybody finds the same things funny or is it very particular? Like what I find funny is different from what somebody else is going to be. I'll say this. I don't think there's anything that everyone will find funny, right? Like your favorite comedian, someone else goes, oh, really? You like him? No way. He is so cringy. No, he's not funny at all. Right. Because there's dry comedians. There's physical comedy. There's just so many types of comedy. There's a flavor for everyone. Uh, And my favorite comedy is... I, I call it a parable. It's not. It's only meant for those that understand, right? Like Jesus's parables. A lot of people are like, "Why is he talking about with this mustard seed? This is I'm not jiving." Um, but this this audience that knew what he was talking about was like mind blown, right? Right. And so there's layers to comedy, and what I try to do is go, "Hey, I think the the entire crowd will find this funny, and if I can go a layer deeper than that and make a certain subsect of that room really laugh, then I'm I'm really winning." That's funny. So I don't want to just make 10 people laugh out of a thousand and go, guys, I made 10 people laugh. That's great. What are you, what are you thinking? There is a level of, we all want to feel like we're experiencing the same thing together. Right. So to go on a tangent, do you think Jesus was actually secretly funny in a lot of his stories and the way he presented? Oh, absolutely. And we just don't There's an entire book on how Jesus was a super, super funny guy. I'll find the book. We can link it in the show notes. Uh, Laugh with Jesus. Seriously. Laugh with Jesus, the funniest comedian of all time. That's one of them. I don't know if that's the one I was thinking of. That's really interesting. Yeah, there there is this idea that I found fascinating that like a lot of Jesus's stuff, like there was like some sarcasm. There was some bite to the stuff he said in the Bible, especially to the people who disagreed with him and the Pharisees and all these things that I just think is it's magical. I think Jesus likes to laugh. Like to think that he's just up there, just like serious all the time. Like he, he's a joyful being. And I would say Jesus is a fan of comedy. If I had to put it out there, there's no biblical tie to that. So (laughs) don't try to, you know, pin me down, you theologians, but I think if we look at the Bible through a comedic lens, we could learn a lot. Oh, wow. That's, I had never really thought of that. I mean, because you, there's definitely passages where like they talk about God laughing and, and Jesus and all of that, but it's, you don't really just sit down and think of just that and through that lens. And I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, mean, Jesus offended a lot of people and a lot of comedy is offensive. And so the things he was saying to be offensive in in a sense is to be funny. If you can rise above being offended. I think the ability right. to not be offended is a superpower and I think it's something that Ooh. all great comedians have. Say that again. Let's like say that one more time because I feel the like the ability to not be offended is a superpower. And I I think that is more true than ever in 2021. Oh dear where God, yes. a single tweet could send people over the edge. Yep. And we're seeing this weird thing in comedy where they're like, you can't say that. And comedians are like, do you understand the point of comedy? It's it's kind of <laughs> like we can kind of say what we want knowing it's a joke. And yes, there's right. truth to things. And yes, there are lines that we shouldn't step over. 
but a lot of people are are trying to just you know squelch all things funny because it might offend someone and you're not thinking about how someone else feels in that moment so i'm a i'm a firm believer that if it's offensive we've got to do a heart check and go what about that really offended me and then go what is that about me that i need to look in the mirror and go do i need to change something here like am i am i just drinking my own poison in a sense by sitting here in just deep offense over everything yeah I mean, wow, <laughs> gosh, that's so indicative of like just last year and where we still are. Like, I mean, it feels like there's nothing safe to talk about and everybody's. We're all so walking on eggshells. Yes. I think, I wonder if that's, I pray that that's going to change once sort of the pandemic starts to, to fade to black, but. Yeah. A lot, a lot of it does lean political, unfortunately, and you kind of go to your, your different camps and you go, well, he's not woke enough. He's not conservative enough. And that's so offensive to this very specific group of people. And so right. it's just, I think it's very hard to be a comedian in 2021. It's one of the reasons I'm not just straight up a stand-up comedian. That's, I would probably be canceled by now. <laughs> I think everybody would be canceled by now. Yeah, um, we'll all get there. We'll just... Oh yeah, there'll be a select few who are just <laughs> vanilla enough, who haven't offended anybody, have never done anything remotely wrong, who will survive. Go back to where we were talking about, just sort of comedy, and you made the point like some people aren't funny, and I would agree with that. But do you think comedy is something that people can learn? Like, if you're not, like, I think you need to have a base level of of like comedic timing and just comedic personality, but what are your thoughts? Do you think that anybody can learn to go from like zero to like two or three versus, I mean, there are some people who are never going to be super funny, but. Yeah, I, I think I'll say this. I think people can develop a sense of humor. They can develop self-awareness and they can develop conversational communication, social skills. And I think those are all elements of being funny. So while you may not be making your friend group laugh out loud on a regular basis, you can get to the point where I actually enjoy having a conversation with you because I feel like we can jive and there's some social chemistry there. Right. And you're sort of so, just bouncing off of each other's energy a little bit. And yeah, absolutely. The same thing's funny. If you go into any friend group that's real close you'll notice that the friends add to each other's jokes and they go a layer deeper until everyone is laughing in that group. That's, that's interesting. I would, yes, I would totally agree. And I we've would all feel, been there. Oh yeah. And I think the friends that you're closest with, you almost see the jokes coming before they tell them, right? Like you sort of, yeah. you know, like the friends that I've had for the longest time, like I kind of already know where they're going when they're setting something up, you know? And there's a comfortability there that you're drawn to. It's why you want to hang out with them again, because there's a comfort level knowing that, hey, we understand each other. There's kind of the social chemistry we've built up. There's inside jokes. That's why inside jokes are so powerful. Oh, gosh. Um, And I think every friend group, if you don't have someone who's funny, you need to find one because, goodness, nobody wants to hang out with you guys if if life is so serious all the time. We've all had those friends, right? Like you sit down with them for coffee, and they're just like, how's your heart? I'm like, can we just, uh, I don't know, just shoot the breeze for like a second. And before, you know, it's like zero, it's like buy me dinner first, man. (laughs) So I tend to feel that way when things get too deep too quickly and people can't 
there's a level of surface level interaction that is kind of necessary in life on top of the deep stuff. Well, but I would also argue that you can have deep conversations that still have humor, right? Like it's not like, it's not like having a conversation that doesn't have any humor in it is like naturally deep. And if you're just cracking jokes, like there's no depth to it. Right. Oh, absolutely. I don't think, I don't think they're exclusive. No, and the best the best people, uh, I mean, Dr. John Deloney comes to mind, one of our Ramsey personalities, and he's so good at going really deep without taking himself too seriously and yes. making analogies that make the conversation more rich and bringing it to life with a personal story and with humor. And that those are some of the tenets of our communicators is you've got to use humor, you've yep. got to use storytelling, you've got to use research, like you've got to have this combination of those things so that it's not just goofy and it's not just serious. Yes, because I think if you if those are sort of two opposite poles, you you go too far one way or the other, you lose people. Like it needs it needs to have this natural sort of ebb and flow back and forth. Yeah, it's a dance for sure. Definitely. How do you pull inspiration from other comedians without it being blatant copying? Because I feel like I've read a lot about, you know, how comedians there's even really big, big name comedians who it's found out like, yeah, they totally stole that material from so-and-so, right? Mm. So how do you get inspired by someone who's made it, so to speak, without it being this blatant copy? Yeah, that's a, that is the million dollar question. And I know uh, we're both big fans of the book, Steal Like an Artist, Mm -hmm. uh, where they really, Austin Cleon breaks that down of, how to do that well because we're not here to just copy and paste tweets and go hey look at look at how funny i am exactly and so what i like to do is break that down and so when you really look at why was this joke funny and how can i take the premise of that joke the setup of that joke the thought process behind that joke and then use my own personal experience to make my own version of that and so sometimes you just need a good prompt right you need to think like what makes me angry in the world? What is something that everyone knows, but no one talks about? <clears throat> What's that thing we all experience secretly, but we're not sharing with our friend group? And so once you start to pull those kinds of things out, it starts to feel really authentic and you. And I think that's the key is authenticity with comedy. Like we were talking about, if you're not funny, like don't force it because right. we've all seen people who try to force a joke and it does not land because it didn't feel authentic. Yep. And so I think there's everyone can be funny in their own way. There's really dry comedians who will never crack a smile. And there's some of the funniest people that exist. And so to me, it's, it's how did God wire you as a person? What are, what are your natural gifts and strengths? Maybe you're very analytical and you overthink. Well, take me inside your brain. And then pull something out that even if I can't relate to it, I'm just fascinated by. And your thought process was so creative around it that I couldn't help but smile and laugh. Exactly. I think, yeah, I think I've seen a lot of comedians who they sort of try to follow a formula of what they've seen work for other people. And the best comedians, at least my favorite comedians, you can tell they're just kind of pulling from their authentic, natural vulnerable self right yes vulnerability is a a great word there because i think that when you don't feel that and you feel like oh this is just a performance there's nothing real there's nothing real here and i think comedy is is great at cutting through that 
yeah, like there's a real kind of human connection because people are sharing like embarrassing or just vulnerable stories and just sharing like, yeah, just the human experience. And there's parts of the human experience that are, let's be, let's be real, are just awkward and you don't want to talk about and nobody wants to talk about or you don't want to share, especially like on stage in front of hundreds of people you don't know. And so oh yeah, there's this sort of, I think when comedians take that step, and just kind of like, I don't care. I'm just going to share this. There's this kind of instant bond with the audience because I think the audience intuitively just kind of recognizes the courage it took to admit that and share that. And they're just like, I don't agree with that, but I, I really admire, you know, that courage. Or I just, I can, or if you do connect with it, it's just like, I'm glad somebody said it because now I can laugh because I've wanted to talk about this my whole life. Or whatever. Yes. There's an idea that, like, if I'm in the audience, I just want to feel like I'm not insane. I'm not as weird as I think. That, Mm -hmm. oh, other people feel this way, too. And so there's really just that connection you feel with humanity, with really good comedy. Even if, again, it's not your personal experience. You don't relate to it. But you go, oh, my gosh, my family's crazy, too. Yeah. Good. I'm not as insane as I think I am. Because we're all sitting here so insecure about our experiences and who we are and the things we've done and the things we haven't done and the FOMO and all these different things. And I think yeah. comedy just makes you feel seen. That's woo. I really like that. That's yeah, that's good. Um, so you've got a lot of experience being on stage in front of like large groups. Do you still find that you get nervous when you're on stage, like presenting, whether it's a group of like people at work that you already know or total strangers, like, does that change over time or is that just kind of part of the deal? I will say that it, the feeling is always still there. So before I go on any stage, there's still this, Oh crap moment where you kind of get the the butterflies in the stomach and you're like, I think I'm sick. Can I call out sick? Is it too (laughs) late? It's always too late. Um, And then, you know, your name gets announced and you run out there and it just floats away. But that took longer to float away when I was first getting started, you know, my first, uh, my first real event was in 2017. Uh, and I was, I mean, I was so awkward and I had all these crutch words and I was pulling up my pants cause I don't think they fit right. And I had a bad suit jacket on and the collar was ruffled and Dave Ramsey right. had to come up to me like a dad and fix my collar. And I was so <laughs> embarrassed. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is my audition event. And I'm going to, I, this is it. Like I'm never going to make it. I'm totally blowing it. Yeah. Yes. And so, and this is, this is not even that long ago. Right. And yeah, after being on stage, you know, close to a hundred times now it floats away faster, but it's always still there. And I, and I think if you don't feel that you're not trying hard enough, like if it just feels like, all right, this is a gig, this is just another thing I got to do, then you lose it. I always want to feel that level of like, Oh crap. Yes. And preparing is, is one of the biggest things. If you don't know what you're going to say, that's when you get real nervous and that that feeling will stick around. So I always try to earn it in the first 30 seconds, like get out there, connect with the audience immediately, earn their trust. Because if you don't earn it in the first 60 seconds, there's a chance you won't earn it in the next 60 minutes and you lose them. Oh, wow. That's, I haven't heard that before. So you feel like the first, and it it makes sense. Like, so that first minute is kind of, it's like a job interview. Like within the first like three or four seconds, people decide if they it's like your first you or impression. Not, right. And it's just like, Oh, he's awkward. Or I'm going to make my judgments about you in the first 60 seconds. 
with any, yeah. I think we all do this oh, uh, yeah. subconsciously. We go, do I buy this guy? Am I here for this? Or am I going to tune out and get on my phone? Yep. So you've got to have them in the palm of your hands. And that's, that's the hardest part is the first minute after the first minute you can do whatever you want and people are going to go with you. Yeah, I would agree with that because I think once you've kind of established that trust and that sort of mutual sort of rapport, then it's like, okay, I like this person. I'm on board. Like, let's see what he's got. Yep. And yeah. Can you recover from like make that, like blowing that first minute? Like how do you? Yes, you definitely can. (laughs) I think the key in recovering is to own it. And if you don't own it and you pretend like it never happened and I'm, I'm still great. That's when the right. audience goes, now I really don't buy this guy. At, like At first you're right. like, I don't know. And then you're like, oh, he didn't even acknowledge that. And so right. I think Conan O'Brien is the master at this. Okay. Sometimes a joke will bomb, right? right? That he'll do. And instead of just breezing on by it, he'll double down on it and go, all right, I guess I got to fire a writer today because that was goodness. <laughs> gra- and and it becomes funnier because yeah. he's sell- he's acknowledging the fact that it bombed and it, we go, right. oh, okay, he knows it. He didn't think that was the best joke ever. And now we just all have to live with this lie. Right. And so we all want that authenticity, that vulnerability where he goes, Hey, I just messed up and it's okay to mess up and I'm still in control. Right. And that's what the audience wants to feel is that the person on stage, the person in front of me is in control. And when they're out of control and they're awkward and that awkwardness is now felt by the whole crowd in the wrong way, that's right. when we go, okay, just get me out of this. Right. It's like, is this over yet? Because it's clearly not getting better. Yes. Yeah. You said something that kind of made me want to jump to a different topic where you talked about when you're on stage, as long as you know what you're going to say. Well, there's obviously like a part of comedy improvisation, like improv, where you go out and you are making it up as you go. And so that's taking that whole safety blanket away. What are your thoughts on like regular comedy where you, you know, you're planning out what you're going to say and all that versus like improv where you are literally just going out naked and blind and just figuring it out as you go. Yeah. I I think they're both equally difficult, right? To, to write something and then edit it and to edit it again and craft it to where every word is so methodical and chosen. And I think a lot yep. of stand up comedy, you go, Oh, he looks like he's just riffing. But a right. lot of the times they've thought about that sentence for so long. And there's a great New York Times video with Seinfeld where he breaks down how he wrote one of his jokes about Pop-Tarts. So I encourage everyone to go Google New York Times Jerry Seinfeld. And you can see how crafted it is. But at the same time, there's an improvisation where because you've prepared, you can go outside the boundaries with comfortability. And I think the best example of this is music. When you know your crap, you know music theory, you know all, you know all of your scales. But right. when you're jamming, you can go outside the boundaries and you can start playing some jazz and getting crazy with it because you have the foundation, because you've prepared, because you've done yes. your homework. And I think it's when you haven't prepared that improv becomes real hard. And I think it gets easier over time. Yep. And you've got to be very self-aware, very in tune with what is the audience feeling? If I was in the audience right now, what am I thinking? And be that proxy and have that level of empathy where you're like, okay, you know what? This audience, this is a weird environment. They're having a hard day. I'm not going to try to rile them up and get them all to do a standing ovation. I just need to own that this is all weird and lean into a moment if it exists, right? If someone sneezes, 
it's always right. funny if the person on stage just stops what they're saying and says, God bless you. You okay? You need a tissue? Get that guy a tissue. Right. Because it shows that this person is intently listening to the audience and he's not just rehearsing a script. Right. And he's able to adapt and, you know, move with the audience and change. Yes. And I think adaptability, now that you said that word, that might be the most important thing in communication. It's not It's not how impressive you are when you can nail the script in a perfect environment. It's right. what you do when it bombs, when something fails, when something goes wrong, when the lights go off and you're thrown off your game. How you adapt to that and how you carry forward, I yep. think, tells me more about you as a communicator than anything else. Well, yeah, I totally agree because you want someone who is not just a blank slate and is just kind of reciting the script and not adapting or listening. Like you want somebody that is responding, right? Like if like you can tell the audience really responds to this one point or joke or whatever, right? You want someone who has that give and take versus just like, because if there's not any sort of interaction between the speaker and the audience, then like, why am I here watching this when I could just watch the video? Because like, there needs to be like the magic of being in person and having. Yes. You want to, you want to say, man, I wish I was there live. I wish right. I was there for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Part of the reason I brought up improv too, is I don't think I've mentioned this to you. So this is a surprise, but I had have done a bit of improv for a handful of years um, before moving to Nashville and not, God, no, not professionally by any stretch, but just like taking classes and like met a lot of great people um, and just had, I sort of stumbled into it, honestly, um, taking a workshop and like, hey, this is fun. And then just kept taking classes and pretending I was half good at it. Um, And so I was curious about if you've done any improv work, like done any of these classes or what your experience in that direction is. You know, I've actually never done legitimate improv i've never done an improv class it's something i've always been interested in and i think i've just settled on the fact that like life is improv and i'll get there one day where i actually (laughs) you know join a class and do this weekly thing yeah Uh, because i do i think it's a great exercise for anyone to go through because it just gets you out of your own head and it you have to connect with people you have to adapt and so for people who are like super type a and you need to have the exact way the exact habit the same time every day it helps break that and lets you be truly creative. Yes. Like one of the things that I loved about it is just because there's this sort of unfettered kind of creativity to it because you're just making something on the spot and it's like on stage, it'll be done in a minute. So there's not like this pressure for it to be perfect or like to craft it or there's like because so much it's out of your control. Exactly. And there's so much permission for failure right? Like there's so much kind of like just try things and, you know, experiment and like you'll fall on your face like so many times, trust me. Um, but there's something very freeing about that, about being able to just create all like almost like you did when you were a kid and you just didn't care how you were judged. Right. Because we're all used to like the critics and just people like anything you do, it's just like, Oh, well that's not good enough. Whereas I felt for me with improv a little in a little bit, was there was just this permission to just sort of like have fun, create. And if it's not perfect, no one cares, right? Like if yes. it's great, then that's amazing. And it's, there's some brilliant well, perfection is the most unrelatable thing out there. 
Oh yeah. And so I want to see someone struggle through something and have it not be perfect. And I, I, it yeah. reminds me of the Seth Godin quote, the person who fails the most wins. Yes. That's I life. That quote. It is. And if you um, haven't failed enough, we don't trust you. I mean, that's why people love Dave is because he failed. Yep. Yeah. It's, and he, it's he owns it. And then he yep. overcame it, which is, you know, we all love uh, the underdog overcoming story. Absolutely. Yeah. Another Seth Godin quote that I came across when I was like researching the podcast and before I started it was, I don't, I'm not going to get the words exactly right, but it was basically um, like true creativity is found on the edge of failure. And it was Mm. just talking about how like, unless you're really just like flirting with failure, like you're not going to ever truly find like real creativity. Like you have to be pushing yourself to the point, to the breaking point. And I, just love that. I thought that was really brilliant. Yeah. And I, I talked about this in the coffee house talk I did for our, our creative team, but this idea that if you fail 10 times more, you'll get 10 times better. And over yep. time I shared the NASA study where we lose our creative genius over time. You know, when we're kids, right. most of us are at creative genius level. And as we get to adult level, we're like 2%. And I think it's because we just are sick of failing and it's too embarrassing and it hurts too much. And we've yep. got too much, too many wounds from failing and how it makes us feel and how other people perceive us that we just yep. stop trying and we lose that creativity because creativity is really just failure over and over until you go, oh, wait, that, that, that one's actually pretty good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I think, yeah, I think as we get older, we get this idea of perfection, like this really flawed view of perfection and it's something that we chase after and it's it's so elusive and even when something is really excellent it's never perfect right yeah and so it just becomes this quest that we need to just abandon and it's it's so hard in the adult world where things are measured and it's either a yes or a no and it's or it's like a zero to a hundred and yeah creativity and the really great creative work doesn't belong on a scale on a scale of like zero to a hundred, right? It's, it's just either good or it's not as good. Yep. And, so. and it depends on who you're asking, right? Like there's so much it's subjectivity. Oh, and so yeah. one, one person saying, Hey, that sucks. Another person might, it might change their life. And so for oh, yeah. you to decide that is selfish. Wow. For you to decide this is good. You don't get to make that choice. You get to be proud of the work you've done to, right. that you put into it, but until you share it with the world, which a lot of people don't even get to that point because they say, it's not good. I'm not going to share that song. I'm not going to share that that post. It's just, ah, I don't know. It's not going right. to connect with people. Yeah. That's anxiety, right? That's experiencing failure <laughs> before it happened. And oh, so uh, yes. we've got we've to start sharing it with the world. And one of the things I said was the cynic, believes that it needs to be perfect before you share it with the world and the creative yep. knows you don't know how you don't have to know how it ends to get started and yep. to share it that's not yeah. our that's not our jurisdiction that's really good and again letting yeah. people say you suck well that's not also the opposite end of the spectrum we don't want to go either right of letting people dictate how we feel about ourselves and so there's this beautiful middle ground where we go, hey, I'm going to share it and I'm going to let other people uh, judge the value of it without feeling like it affects my value and my self-worth. Yeah. 
that is a mature place to be. So how do you get there? <laughs> I think you get there. Uh, it's death by a thousand cuts. It's realizing that, oh, you know what? When I put it out there, there was like seven people that liked it. And I kind of got yeah. a little better at design and now like 12 people like it. And uh, I got yeah. I have a few more podcast subscribers now. I guess I'm getting better at this. And there's a mix of the self-validation of knowing that you're growing. And then there's the external validation, which matters to an extent because it's a good measuring stick to go. I think I'm growing and the people are showing up and giving me that affirmation. And so that is where we can go, okay, this is a healthy place to be. Now we don't want to go the side where like, you know, your kid wants to be on American Idol and they're the worst singer of all time. And you're like, you're amazing. <laughs> and then they totally go fail very that. publicly and their world is shattered because you yep. lied to them. Right. So th- there's the other side of that where it's like, no, like the external piece does matter, but yes. it doesn't affect your value as an individual. And it's just a part of the journey is realizing that the critics are going to show up and take it all with a grain of salt. And have the self-awareness to look in the mirror and go, okay, am I actually an okay singer? You know what? Okay, I'm going to take some some vocal lessons. I'm going to do the work it takes to go from the three to a six. And I love, there's a story of Ed Sheeran, and he shared some audio from when he was younger. And okay. it is the worst singing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, it is so, so bad. But that dude would not quit. Yeah. And he worked at it and worked at it. And now he's one of the best singers of all time. And so there is a piece of it where you have to go, how much work am I willing to put into this? Yeah. yeah. That's and good. if you're not willing to put in the work, well, then don't be shocked when you never get to the point where you're able to do this full time or you're able to get the validation that you were looking for. And sometimes you go, yeah, it's a hobby. I like design, but man, I'm, I don't know that I'm ever going to get to a point it. where I want to do it full time. Well, how do you think, because this kind of reminds me of something you said earlier, where, you know, we don't, we want to have this sort of balanced view of like our critics and the feedback that we're getting. But I, but then on the flip side of that, we've got sort of this social media built up culture where we're like living for like the like and like the share and like the view count and all of that. And it feels like such an artificial metric of the value of your work or whether it's good and right because a lot of times you might have amazing work but because of like the algorithms of facebook or instagram or whatever it's not getting in front of as many people and all of that and it's it's easy like especially as like a numbers driven or somebody who's like sort of performance based to get caught up in sort of like okay how am i doing right like how do you sort of like we touched on this a little bit more, but I think let's cover this part too. Like, how do we kind of set that aside? Like, how do you not make that important? I've seen teenagers and they'll post on Instagram. And if the post doesn't have a certain number of likes within the first 20 minutes, they delete it. They're like, oh, oh wow. gosh, oh gosh, that was a terrible photo. I don't know why I posted that. No one liked it. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's a real thing. And they even have fake Instagrams where they have a second account where they can really post what they really are doing and how they really are, and they only let their you know true friends follow it. And it's just so sad to me seeing an entire generation just crippled by validation. Right. 
And so I think yeah. the dance you've got to do is to go, I'm going to post it and I'm only as good as my last win. And if it does great, wonderful. And if it doesn't, that doesn't define me and that doesn't define the next post. And so you get better right. and better and better. And, you know, it's different if it's a selfie or if it's something that you put a lot of creative time into, uh, but both can can hurt just as much when you yeah. don't get the validation. But to me, it's like when you zoom out and you go, okay, am I really going to let an algorithm decide my worth? You've got to go, okay, this is just a robot. This is just a program. And that's when if you're not connected to real people, it can get dangerous. If you're just in the digital realm, it's easy right. to feel like, I suck. No one cares. All these things. Yeah. But instead, find a real community of people and get in front of actual people. Yes, and that's like that. where the real magic is. I don't think it's in on the digital side of, hey, I got 25 comments. I'm doing great. It's what are my what are the, my friendships like? Do I have deep relationships? Do I have deep conversations in real life? Or am I just, a, you know, a digital warrior and an influencer on Instagram? So I think yeah. I think that's a really great point. I mean, if this podcast episode doesn't get 150 downloads, then I suck. And it's very clear that I'm just a terrible person that no one wants to hear from. Well, right, right now there's about five people in my mom that are listening to this. So I, I think you might be disappointed. Dang it. Sorry. Delete it. Delete it. We're never publishing this. I know. But that, that's no. the mentality, right? It's like, yep, you've got to start somewhere. And even if this podcast never gets to 100,000 downloads a week, that doesn't mean that you're any less successful, that you're any less creative than you were three weeks ago when this thing, you know, didn't exist. Oh, yeah. And so that's where you got to go. I'm doing this for me. And yeah. if other people enjoy it, that's great. Yes, that's the healthiest that... place to be with creativity. Yes, I agree. Because, I mean, I think if you think back to the days before the Internet, which, you know, dating us probably. But, I mean, you know, you would create work and you really didn't have a chance to share it with the world, right? Before putting it on the internet some way, right? Like you would create, there was a lot more, I feel like creating just for the sake of creating. Because know, it didn't fun. have to live forever. It just right. lived in you a could, moment and we were okay with that. Exactly. And it, I feel like there's a more, in some ways, creative work that you aren't going to share with people. There's like a purity to it as well. You know, yeah. like, and that's why we love live music, right? It just feels like oh, we're all yeah. living in this moment, and it's not always going to be archived and posted yep. and in a feed. It just feels like a real human experience, and then we move on and we have a memory. Remember when we just had memories of things? Hmm. Tell me a bit about just your experience with like. Let's talk about the the those two voices: the internal cynic and the internal critic, and talk about just why those were important to you to sort of call out um, when you had this coffee house talk, which for those people who have no idea what we're talking about, it's basically at work. We have this biweekly meeting where we people get up and do what's our version of a Ted talk really. And so George did this talk uh, about a month or so ago, and I was just really struck by how just thoughtful and, um, challenging it was, and a big part of it was talking about the internal cynic and the internal critic and how that is just a huge obstacle to us when we're trying to be creative. So all of that as sort of backdrop, but let's talk about, yeah, what, what, what are the differences kind of between the cynic and the critic? So 
this all started when I, I was realizing, okay, I'm trying to do this talk and I, I feel like there's something with improv and possibility thinking and optimism. And then I realized like, that's not really authentic. Like if in my heart of hearts, I am not an optimist. I am a cynic. I'm a cynical person and I go, the world is out to get me and life is easier when you have no expectations and you just are going to expect everything to fail. And I realized like, I wasn't always this way. Like what, what happened? And so I started to look back at my life and I started doing research and that's when I realized, oh, we were all creatives. Like no one is born a cynic. So what made us start to thrive on this negativity and sarcasm? And I realized it's because we're just protecting ourselves. And I realized cynicism is just an easy way to say that you've been burned. It's just a safe way to say that. And I realized we're all born fully creative, right? We're made in the image of God. We have all this possibility and potential. And over time, that fire dies and we get more and more cynical and less and less creative. So that set me on a journey to go, well, how do we get back to that? And to get there, I had to address some lies that the cynic says and then disprove that with what the critic, the uh, the creative actually believes. Because okay. cynicism is the death of creativity. And so we really have to go, if I have this distrust in humanity, I have a feeling that something isn't going to work out well, what is the truth? And that's that's really where all of the, the beliefs started coming from, is after I realized cynicism is just negativity wrapped in fear. And so how do we get to positivity <laughs> wrapped in hope, right? That's where we all want to yeah. get to, yeah. and not in a cheesy... Hallmark you know, false optimism. Yeah, not in a Hallmark movie way where everything's fine, bad things don't happen. And so I was like, how do how do we make that switch from going into a critic to going to the creator? Right. Yes, and we talked a little bit, like we've sort of made some reference points to the talk already through, like, just what we've been talking about as far as, like, for example, like, it needs to be perfect before I share it versus you don't need to know how it ends to get started. Like that was one of my favorites. Um, And another one, like if I do it all alone, I'll get all the credit versus your idea is never as good as our idea, which I love that idea because I think it's, I think it's very easy as a creator to, I mean, creativity is so personal that you almost, you, you have an idea, you want to protect it. You want it to be yours. It's hard to let other people, even with the best intentions, it's hard to let other people in to speak into the process because then it feels like you're, it's not just yours anymore. Right. Yeah. But because if you but, don't get the credit, you don't get the validation. Right. And if that's all you're creating for, then that's kind of empty, but yeah. And I mean, that's tough, but I mean, I've learned so many times over the years that like when I let go and just like, okay, and just acknowledge like other people have great ideas and other people can help me make this so much better. And it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, like who's all involved in the process. It's about like the end result and getting that to be the best way possible. Oh yeah. Collaboration is so much fun when it takes the pressure off. Absolutely. Right. Because you can both bring your best ideas and then kind of sort and sift through it and, and pick what's working and what's not. And it's, it's just, it's more, yeah. Creative collaboration is so much more life-giving and enjoyable 
and not to say that there's not, there's obviously a place for like solo work where you're working just by yourself. But when there's a chance to like bring people in like that is, can just be magic. And I feel like to pull it all back to the beginning, like I feel like in comedy that happens so much that I've seen, you know, because if we're all sort of thinking through bringing our own comedic filter of what's funny, you know, you can build on a fledgling idea and just make it something really hilarious. And that feels like I was a part of something bigger than myself, which is really the human, yes. the human story, right? Is like, we don't yeah. want to live in this isolation. This is more than about ourselves. And so you really, it takes the ego out of it and you go, do I, do I want the credit or do I want to make an impact? And a lot of times we only get to yeah. choose one of those things. Hmm. Yeah. Gosh, that's good. So to sort of close this out, tell us a little bit about what are some of like the creative things that you're working on right now that like creative projects that you're working on that you're excited about that you'd like to to share? Yeah. So one of them is we are doing another kind of stand up comedy night with a close group of guys that we hang out with. And so this is going to be my second time ever doing true stand up comedy. Okay. And the goal is to get better. And so we're all kind of like, let's watch back at how we did last year and go, all right, that was, that was oh, pretty good. Yeah. How do we step it up? And so that's something that I'm excited about. And that also scares me. And I, that's a good life lesson. If it doesn't scare you, it's probably not a big enough challenge. Like that's, if it's just easy and you're just kind of like, I could phone this in, right. then find something that does scare you a little bit more because that's where the growth happens. Yeah. Um, Another project that's work-related is a new podcast. Again, something kind of scary because we've never done anything like it. We do okay. mostly you know, call-in shows and interview shows, and what we're trying right. to craft is a narrative, topical, storytelling podcast that's crafted. And a okay. lot of my favorite podcasts are that way, and I was like, I wish we could do one at Ramsey. And so over right. the last six years, I've had this idea, and I wasn't even trying to host it. I was just like, we got to do this. And so the yeah. fact that I get to be the host of this thing is such an honor and it just shows that the patience of the creative journey, if you do it right uh, and you're willing to wait and you're willing to put in the hard work, uh, you will earn that opportunity eventually. Maybe not on your timeline, but the timing is always right. And if I started this six years ago, it would suck royally. And so now (laughs) I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for this, Yeah, but it still scares me and it's still a whole lot of work. And so we're really excited. It's called The Fine Print. Tagline is the hidden truths that are keeping you broke. And we're really going to kind of peel back the layers of all these money myths, all of these companies and products and services and scams and ripoffs that are hurting people out there and really give them a new paradigm when it comes to money and help them start to make the right choices, help them have the confidence that they are heading in the right direction. Because a lot of people are going, I didn't learn this stuff in school. I didn't learn this stuff at home. They don't tell you this stuff on the internet. And so we're really trying to do the research for people and do it in a fun way. Again, bringing comedy into it to make it entertaining. Cause I believe that you should laugh while you learn that's going to make, you know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. And so we're trying to incorporate that into everything we do as we try to reach people who don't know about us and people who wouldn't naturally gravitate towards some of our content. How do we kind of be that tip of spear, the first thing they see from us and go, Hey, I want to learn more about this. Oh, they've got more resources. Oh, they've got these budgeting tools. Oh, this stuff can change my life. And so that will hopefully launch uh, this summer. We're super pumped about it. 
Um, and that's, that's one of the things I'm most excited about right now. Well, George, thank you so much for taking this time to, uh, talk with us and just to share a little bit about your story and, um, just what you've been learning and what you've been working on. Um, gosh, there's a lot of really great stuff in there. Um, I found it really useful. Um, so I did too. It was like a free therapy session. So thank you for that. I feel more Um, creative than ever. Well, the check is, you know, the bill is in the mail. So, you know, don't get too, too, I don't know. That was a bad joke. I was told I'd be paid for this opportunity. Oh, well, I'll have to talk with Amy about that because that was, dang it. That's unfortunate. I'm sorry. That's all right. Well, hey, okay. if, uh, I'm going to start posting more now that you inspired me. And so if All right. if your listeners or your mom wants to follow me on <laughs> Instagram or Twitter, yes. you can find me at George Camel. That's with a K. K-A-M-E-L. Right. Would love to connect with people there. Would love to know people's thoughts about this, if anything struck yes, them. Yes, absolutely. If you hated it, I'm down for some trolling sick burns. Yes. Uh, as you know Twitter now, style. I love yep. it. I feed off of it, man. It's so fun. Yep, camel with a K, just like the cigarettes. Yes, the old school. Do you, they do you get to, that? Yes. Do, do people say that? Well, no, Joe Camel, maybe. And there we go. What I thought was especially interesting that came out of my conversation with George is I think a lot of us don't realize how much thought intelligence and very deliberate planning there is behind the scenes in comedy and how comedy is a skill that requires hard work, discipline, and all of that to continue to grow and get better. I think if you don't know better, many of us look at comedy and just think that it's a gift where you either have it or you don't. And it's obviously not that simple. George, thanks again for sharing with us. Check out the show notes for links to the books and the resource that got mentioned to where you can find George on social media and to his new podcast project, The Fine Print all i have for today don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button and share this with your friends and as always i'd like to hear from you drop me a message and share your thoughts ideas for content or who to interview next you can do that through social media on instagram or facebook finding us at the matchbox creative thanks for tuning in we'll see you on the next episode Okay. I feel yeah. like the first time I met you and I saw the smell of your last name, like that's where my mind went. That was your go-to I, with cigarettes? I don't I don't even smoke. I don't know where that came from. That's just that's how it happened. So Where'd you get that that sultry smoker's voice then? I don't know. Hey, like, um, uh, <laughs> sometimes it's like that. I have creative. a cup of water here and I don't use it as often as I should. <laughs>